if you Google my name now, it comes up Scott Davis Gambling. And that's what breaks my heart because for 11 years, I suppose, I lived my dream um, of playing football and that's completely forgotten of. I know I'm not going to gamble today, but my partner doesn't. You know, I might never get trust back. Do I want it back? I don't know. I might abuse that. In my mind, she's listen, the best mum I could ever ask for. Um, but she definitely took the brunt of my gambling, turned her into a liar. Um, she became devious. I remember um, listening to my mum crying one night when she was on the bed. Uh, she was sitting on the bed in her bedroom. I remember saying to my dad, I, I don't know where I've went wrong. I I said, where did I go wrong? I drove a wedge between their marriages because my mum couldn't tell my dad the truth. And I look back now and think to myself, what on earth was I doing? Welcome to the Gambling Harm podcast, the podcast from Epic Risk Management, in which we'll be looking at all aspects of gambling harm, including the work done by Epic across various sectors. I'm Steve Cotton, and I'll be joined on every episode by a different guest or guests from Epic's lived experience team. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Scott Davis and Alan Smart. On this episode, we'll be talking about how gambling harm doesn't just affect the gambler, but those closest to them. But before we get into that, um, Scott and Alan, can you each tell us the very short version, because I appreciate there are stories of different lengths that you do tell on a regular basis, but the very short version of your journey with gambling and how you ended up at Epic. Alan, can you start? Yeah, no worries. Uh, thanks. So I ended up at uh, Epic uh, through I had a, <clears throat> a sales career uh, with sort of big, big organisations in the UK uh, where I was supposed to be selling every day, but I was in the bookies, like gambling. My 95 was in the bookies. Uh, gambling went through all sorts of things. Um, I remember trying to sell a, a company car to scrapyards. That's the kind of life that, that, that I led then. Uh, just gambling manically, just a feeding frenzy and uh, my mind unravelling. Uh, you know, a 21-year uh, sort of career, pathologically gambling as well, trying to juggle that, that sort of sales career. Very much sort of corporate-led, uh, but when you're in that sales environment, you have three things that can enable you to gamble. It's time, money and opportunity. And I was, you know, I had all three. I had access to all three. Uh, I remember, you know, doing things like putting the, the works laptop into cash converters, putting the works phone into lap into cash converters and customers trying to call me and the, the phone sitting in, in cash converters. Uh, and I'm in the bookies uh, trying to trying to win money to to get it back out. And you know, I remember going to get the laptop at the, the end of the month and I'd, I'd already had like 50 million emails, like people <laughs> looking for me. Uh, so yeah, that and that that's kind of how my my life was. Uh, like right up until you know the moment I joined Epic, uh, I was in the corporate world, and Epic is a an organisation I've been following for a little while across the socials, and uh, yeah, a position came up, and I remember getting a phone call, and my you know my, my new boss Dan saying I want you in my team, and right there and then I quit my corporate job on the spot. I did that that just wasn't me anymore, and that's and I've been at Epic, and ever since it's just like therapy every day. It's like it's just doing something that's truly making a difference, and here I am. Wow, um, that's the first time I've heard that. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm more familiar with Scott's story, but it, it is incredible to hear that. Um, and what a different what a difference of careers, and you know what what a different journey you're on now, what a different path. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, it's quite therapeutic, as I say. It's sometimes it's not. It's not even like a, I don't know if I could class it as a job. It's just, you know, fate, destiny, whatever. But it just fits my mental sort of state these days. So yeah, I love it. And Scott, how about you? 
Yeah, so I've been at Epic uh, just over five years, I believe now. Um, it came about that when I went to Sporting Chance for rehab in 2015, um, I became a public speaker for them. I went to an event in London and Paul Buck came up to me after and just said, listen, um, I run a gambling harm company. Um, and he said, I want you to come and work for me. So at the time, I didn't really believe him. I thought to myself, oh, here we go. There's another bloke in a suit telling me that he's got this business. And um, yeah, long story short is that they obviously signed a project um, with the EFL to go around to the football clubs, um, being a professional footballer at the time or just coming out of professional football, sorry. Um, it made sense. I felt like I was at home going around to football clubs, telling my story um, about how gambling affected my life and my career. And yeah, like Alan um, alluded to there, it doesn't feel like work. And I mean that. I think when I go to when I go to work, I actually look forward to it because um, I'm still in an environment which I'm used to. Um, I see a lot of old teammates and ex-managers um, whilst telling my story. And people go to Gamblers Anonymous. Um, they have different routes of recovery. And I think my best medicine is, is telling my story um, in a place where I feel comfortable, and that's in schools, football clubs, because um, I really enjoy it. It's not about me, but it's about helping other people. The satisfaction that I do get from it um, is immense. That's the only way I can describe it. Not just from um, the person that's gambling. You get it from their friends and families. I've spoken to footballers' mums that have texted me this year and reached out to me on social media and said, I've heard you've been helping my son and he's he's on a new path now and he's, he's in a good place. And um, I never thought, I'll be honest with you, when I first started, I'd have as much passion or drive as I do um, for it. But yeah, it becomes compulsive in its own way that, you're helping people and you're staying on the right path yourself so um yeah massively grateful to to people like paul that brought me into the business um i'll be honest with you without without this job i don't know what i would have been doing now um i was building beds when i came out of professional football on 10 pound an hour uh traveling the, the length of the country to go and fit beds and it was it was just a job um but now this is more than just a job and um yeah absolutely love what i do we often think about the harm done to the gambler don't we um, but not perhaps the people that, that they affect. In terms of your stories, and, and I guess, you know, I'll throw this sort of open to, to either of you to, to interject, but, you know, when you look back on your time as a gambling addict, you know, when you were active, who did you affect and, and who did you hurt? And, and, you know, how do you look back on that now? I and mean, I appreciate that's a very open question that could go in all sorts of different directions, but, um, you know, what would the headlines be when you reflect on that? Um, for myself, I, I definitely affected my family, um, you know, and, and my friends as well. Also, sort of former work colleagues who just thought I was a big weirdo, just, you know, sitting isolated. I was the guy that was isolated, sitting in a corner, don't come near me, don't talk to me, uh, I don't want any sort of interaction. Uh, and they just thought, well, what is it with that guy? He's just never... You know, never takes part in it. Wouldn't go. It wouldn't sort of fit in with any sort of anything that was happening at work. Anything my family wanted to do, uh, I, I just so I took myself away from it, and I isolated myself. And you know, the the, the opposite thing of isolation is connection, and I, I didn't have those those connections. My family, more than any other set of people, knew there was a problem with gambling, but I don't think they knew just how sort of deep it was. And you know, I remember. Um, listening to my mum crying one night and she was on the bed. Uh, she was sitting on the bed in her bedroom. I remember her saying to my dad, I, I don't know where I've went wrong. I don't, what is it, where did I go wrong? Uh, and I still remember that. It's kind of tattooed and inside of my mind. 
uh, and I think about that how because it takes a little while for recovery uh, but see for an affected other it takes far far longer it, because I know I'm not going to gamble today but my partner doesn't it's not the same sort of and you know I might never get trust back do I want it back I don't know I might abuse that I don't know um, even today if I'm if I'm five ten minutes late and this is me after nine years in recovery if I'm five ten minutes late I'll get a text where are you and I've you know there might be a, a traffic jam the only problem with that is when I was gambling my brains out I would lie and say listen I'm stuck in a traffic jam and now when it really happens I feel as I've done something wrong when I haven't. I'm telling the truth. But it's like, yeah, you still go through that kind of um, song and dance. Uh, but the way I affected my, my parents was, yeah, it was horrible. People that just love you and trying to do the best for you. Uh, my sister as well. Uh, great relationship today, but for years, just estranged, isolated, uh, just a complete helplessness from them. They only wanted good things for me, uh, but I was terrified of the weight of judgment the weight of judgment would crush me. The stigma with gambling. I feel it'd be more acceptable if I'd said I'd had a drink problem or a drug problem, but not gambling, because that's not really that bad. So yeah, yeah, that affected them badly. D does that ring true with you, Scott? I, I think the parents factor, when Alan talks about that, I mean, I've, I've sat in a room, I've been fortunate enough or privileged enough to sit in a room in your parents' house listening to your mum and dad talking about it and just your mum in particular, the... You know, you could sense what you put your mum through. Listening to Alan there, does does that sort of ring true with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, um, for the first few months, I carried on lying and I didn't need to lie. Um, and that's one of the weirdest things that I got so used to lying that I lied about things that I didn't need to lie about anymore. Um, but in terms of the trust, obviously, Alan mentioned it then. Um, I've got my trust back and I think that my parents trust me wholeheartedly now because... Um, I'm a completely different person. I'm sure Alan is as well. But there's things that we've got in place where my mum can see my transactions on my bank account still eight, eight years on um, because it makes her feel at ease. And I've got no problem with that. I think for the first two or three years, um, I had to rebuild that trust and it was difficult. I and mean, How do you do it? Now, how do you rebuild trust? It's really difficult. People say to me all the time, how do you get that trust back? Um, but I think it, obviously over time, you do build it in, without even working on it. Um, but yeah, I affected a hell of a lot of people. My mum my and dad, certainly, um, even bringing my sister, my brother-in-law, who were really close to me at the time, mates. Then I look at my teammates at football when I was betting on matches that I shouldn't have been betting on. Um, the fans that were in the stands when I'm betting on my team to lose. And there's four and a half thousand people supporting the club and I'm not trying a leg. So you think there's four and a half thousand people straight away that are being affected. Um, but I didn't think about those people at the time. I just thought about myself and what I'm going to get out of it. And if I can win a few grand um, at five o'clock on a Saturday, I wasn't bothered if uh, Pete and his kids that come to watch Crawley that day went home sad. And that's the selfish nature of gambling. So, um, yeah, I could go on for hours about the people that I affected. And I think for all the money that I lost, that's my biggest um, issue that I have. The people that I affected and the way that I treated those people, um, disrespected them, lied to them, stole off them, cheated off them. Um, and that's not the kind of person I've been brought up to be. Um, Alan mentioned it again then about um, where did I go wrong? 
um, when his mum said about him as a person and that rings true, uh, so, so true because my mum just said, like, I haven't brought you up to be like this. I've let you down. I've failed you. And my mum took the blame. Uh, she shouldered the blame for the person that I'd become and it couldn't be any further from the truth. Um, my parents, probably the best support network that I could have ever wished for during my time of gambling um, and during my time of trying to stop. But I didn't want the help. So I wasn't ready to stop. Um, and that's the one thing I will say, you, you can only stop when you're ready. Um, other people can't do it for you. And um, yeah, eventually I did I did realise that I had to do something about it. And I wish I'd have done it sooner now, but it is what it is. Um, no regrets about the money or the career. It's just about the way I treat people. Is it true that when you're, when you're in the moment, the people who would help you, the people who love you unconditionally they're the ones you're pushing away the most almost is that is that the way it, it i mean obviously you don't feel that at the time but retrospectively is that the case and i not sure yes and the reason for that is is because these are the people that's closest to you when i talk about weight of judgment you know weight of disappointment you know scotty said it uh, you weren't brought up like this so why are you doing this you know you've done this to the family and these are all the things that goes through the compulsive gambler's head you know, you start to think, you start to think, well, how, how can I, you know, how can I disappoint my, my parents like that? What are they going to say? What are they going to think? What are their friends going to think down at the pub? You know, oh, that's your son. That's the, the compulsive gambler, that kind of thing. So it's really the overthinking that goes on in, in your head when in actual fact, all they would ever have done is love me and help me. And I know, I know that now. Um, so, you know, which Scotty sort of alluded to as well. Yeah. I think, yeah, off the back of that, there's a line that my mum said to me one day. I think we were in the kitchen. Uh, I know we were at the house somewhere. I can't remember exactly. But she remembers it more than I do. And there was one day that I walked in uh, to the house and she, the words that came out of her mouth were, I'm so ashamed of you. And she beats herself up still to this day that she was able to say that to me. And I'm like, why? Why Why are you ashamed? Like, I can understand why you were ashamed of me at the time um, because I wasn't a nice person. Um and I wasn't being the best version of me. I wasn't being a good son to them. They're allowed to be ashamed of me. I have no problem with that. Speaking to people closest to you sometimes is the hardest thing to do. Uh, there's a there's a phrase that my mum used, um, a mother is only as happy as her unhappiest child. So every time that I thought, well, if I'm going through a problem and I tell my mum I'm, I'm unhappy or I'm down, I'm depressed, I'm upset, then all of a sudden she's going to be as down as I am. And then my dad's going to be down because they live in the same house. And it just brings the whole family down. So being a young lad at the time, moving into my 20s, I thought, I'm not going to speak about my problems to my mum. Why would I do that? Because it's not what young lads do first and foremost. Um, and second of all, I thought I was old enough, big enough, ugly enough. People probably disagree with me. But it's, um, it's one of those where you think, I thought I could deal with all my issues myself. I thought um, anything that gets thrown my way, um, yeah, I'll get through this. And eventually, I think I was just exhausted of having to deal with those events uh, that were going on, uh, life's pressures, um, and I needed to speak to someone. And I used the word cracked. I cracked, and I thought, I've got to speak to someone. And, and my mum was the perfect person to speak to. And, um, yeah, she ran the rehab centre for me, and little did I know that I'd be off to rehab for 26 nights a, a few weeks later. So, yeah, no, massively grateful for her to making that phone call. You're years on now from, from your last bet, but do you still apologise to people? And, and and if you do, how do they react? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I personally, for me, because all our recovery journeys are different, I don't do guilt. I don't do it um, because guilt can take me back out the door. Uh, and my family and my friends, they don't care for the old me. 
They don't care for it. They care for the new me. They want the new me. Um, I've you know I've tried to make amends. I said sorry at you know at the time, and I've uh, you know remember saying to my dad I was sorry. Um, unfortunately, um, I lost my mum very suddenly, um, just before I came into recovery. So I never really got that chance to actually you know when I hear Scotty talking about and I've seen Scotty's video his mum and dad it just fills me with joy because he's he's able to do that and anybody that's able to do that I take my hat off to I never quite get that chance um so you know that still that, that still hurts if I do think about anything it's it's, it's kind of that but for me I just don't do guilt because it can take me it can take me back out the door and I don't want that uh, my, my family like they love the new me like they recovered me if I think too much I'll put it this way if I look back too much I can get um, depressed if I look forward too much I can get quite anxious but I can deal with the next 12 hours in front of me and that's where I love my life day at a time for me it's a weird one so I don't apologise anymore um because I don't want to be known as Scott, the recovering gambling addict. I leave that in the past. If you Google my name now, it comes up Scott Davis Gambling. And that's what breaks my heart because for 11 years, I suppose, I lived my dream um, of playing football and that's completely forgotten of. People see me now when I go into football clubs. In fact, I was stood in IB for a beach party a few years ago and um, there were some lads that were at Fleetwood at the time. And as I walked past, they went, there's that gambling guy. And that's completely forgotten about. I did play football as well. So, yeah, it's it's a funny one how how time changes things. Um, my mum said to me so many times, listen, you've said a sorry a million times, too many times, in fact. Um, the hardest part for me is when people clap me on a stage at a school or I'll do a talk at a football club or business and they'll go, that was brilliant. You've turned your life around. You should be so proud. I'm not and genuinely mean that from the bottom of my heart, I'm not proud um, because I wish I didn't have this story to tell. I wish I was a different person. Um, I wish I'd lived my life differently, treat people differently. So when you get compliments for doing something like this job, it's a really weird feeling. I don't know how Alan feels on that part, but um, yeah, it's, I, I don't want to liken it to, I don't want to liken it to, someone else that's turned their life around um, for doing something completely drastic. You don't often get applauded for that. Um, you obviously get tarnished with that brush, whereas because we go and tell our story, we get applauded. It's really, really difficult, really, really tricky. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of want to get in there, get my story done, tell the tell the story, help anyone that's struggling and get out. Um, that's the kind of person I am, I guess, when it comes to that. What do you think about that, Alan? That, the, the idea of be, being applauded for something you wish you didn't have to have done. Yeah, yeah, uh, just yeah, just thinking about that now. Um, you know, lived experience. You know, as Paul Buck would say, and all of us, it's you know, it's at the heart of everything we do. But seeing you think of it, we've all got lived experience. Ours was just about gambling. You have your lived experience, the stuff that you've been through. You know, everybody else has got their. Lived, my friends have got their lived experience. Uh, but lived experience is the kind of buzzword just now, uh, and it's you know, as Scotty said, when you when you're up there and you get, a I mean, we've been in rooms. Believe it or not, we work with gambling operators um, and we we educate them on how to sort of deal with people that, that may have gambling problems or detect harm. And we've told stories and there's been tears in the room, there's been massive emotion. Uh, and for me, that's a good thing if you can impact at that level because once you sort of elicit an emotion, um, it makes people think. Uh, but as far as Scotty goes, yeah, I kind of get a little bit embarrassed when because it's just the path that I took. I didn't like Scotty. I didn't set out to, 
you know, to be to be getting applauded to talking about um, you know trying to end my life and being in the bookies and all that kind of stuff. And it does it does kind of amaze me sometimes when people come up and they're like, oh, that was that was brilliant. And I was like, yeah, maybe for you, <laughs> it wasn't for me. Uh, but I get it. The bigger picture is uh, we're helping people at a, at a deeper level. Uh, and just like Scott as well, I wish I didn't have my story to tell, but I have, and I'm doing good things with it today. That's what matters. Yeah, no, I think that's a massive point. People say to me all the time, oh, I really enjoyed that after the session. And it's the weirdest phrase because they say it and then they go, oh, I, I didn't mean it like that. And But it's fine to mean it like that because it is, I suppose, an interesting story. It's different. But like Alan said there, everyone's got their own story. You could probably applaud most people that walk past you in the street each day. They've been through um, trials and tribulations in their life that no one hears about, but people hear about ours. And yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. It's a really strange one. And I don't think it'll ever change. That's made me think of it in a completely different way. And I'm pretty sure that I'm guilty of probably saying that to you. <laughs> so the first time I heard your story, but, it, but I think it's because it's impactful and it is tricky to find the right words for it. Yeah, there's there's no perfect way to describe it or to... Uh, compliment someone on it listen compliments are great and it's nice hearing them from people because you know that they mean it um but at the same time when i'm in a school and i'm shutting down my laptop i'm shutting down my laptop at the time that people are applauding because i don't really know where to look don't want to stand there um like with my arms outstretched like saying yeah come on applaud me because yeah it's it's just it's just an awkward one i think unless you've lived that life um and you you do what we do it, it's it's probably a difficult thing to kind of understand or quite a lot of to or to fathom so yeah it's it's a tricky one going back to i guess the central kind of crux of this of this episode which is about you know how your gambling affected other people um and and Scott I'll come to you first on this i mean with regard to your your parents your your mum talked about how it actually made her physically ill at times. It wasn't just the mental worry as well. Um, I mean, this must be going on with so many families across the country and the world now. Who and and they they don't really know, do they? Or, or people looking in would think they wouldn't have a clue what people like that were going through. With you know, your mum up late worrying, and then it manifests itself in in a physical illness as well. Yeah, my mum's a in my mind, she's listen the best mum I could ever ask for. Um, but she definitely took the brunt of my gambling, turned her into a liar. Um, she became devious. She started to, um, I started to manipulate the situation um, when it came to finance between her and my dad, where she took out so much money out of their bank account to pay my debts. I don't know if you remember back to the day that we were filming at the house and she said that she paid off £17,000 car loan. And I don't even remember that. I genuinely do not remember it. So I was living this sort of like blurred life. Um, but yeah, it causes it causes massive disruption within the family. Um, it obviously, headaches were one thing that she had all the time. Um, bloating. Um, she had like stomach acids and things like that. But it was making her ill. But the biggest thing for me that I drove a wedge between their marriage is because my mum couldn't tell my dad the truth. Um, and I look back now and think to myself, what on earth was I doing? And my mum probably looks back as well and says... What was she doing? Um, but she wanted to protect me. Um, I'm her son. Um, and in her mind, I'm a sort of like blue-eyed boy, do you know what I mean, that can't do anything wrong. So, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult situation. Um, but like you say, going back to the families around the country, there'll be millions that are affected. It's not just the families initially. It's the wider family, the wider impact. I know that my mum used to speak to my auntie about, 
my gambling. Um, she used to lean on her friends about it. So then I'm sure that they then took the brunt of my mum's problems because she couldn't speak to my dad. So it's just the knock, knock on effect, the domino effect. Um, and it's, yeah, it's looking back now, it's such a selfish addiction. And I think that's the thing that at the time as a gambler, you don't realise and you don't really care about. You don't really care about. And that's mad to say that I didn't care about my mum's feelings and how she felt at the time because she's the person that I would do anything for. Um, looking back now, was that true? Maybe not. And that's the way I kind of have to look at it, I guess. But Alan, I guess you're so you're so deep-rooted in it and you're so immersed by it, aren't you, that, that you don't think about other people necessarily in that moment. You don't, um, Steve, that, this illness um, cuts you off from, from everything. And that's the thing, this illness was always here for me. Um, whether I was happy, uh, I would gamble. Whether I was sad, I would gamble. Just any normal day, I would gamble. And I remember standing in a, a high street bookmakers and my phone was kicking off like six, seven times. Uh, and I eventually went out to answer it. And it turned out that my mother had had a seizure and um, nobody knew what it was at the time, but it turned out to be a brain tumour. Uh, and, you know, I talk about guilt and there it comes crashing right into my guts. So, you know, and I always wonder, you know, what part did the worry play in that? Do you know what I mean? Uh, it turned out it was it was benign, uh, which we were all sort of really glad about. Uh, but you do, you know, when, in your quieter moments, when you're sitting and, you know, the clarity came when I had no money. People talk about willpower. See, when I had no money, my willpower was amazing. It was incredible. I'm never going to do this again. And then you get money and that just evaporates. You just go and you kind of, you're kind of laid into a bit of a trance and you're there. And I remember being in the bookies, my feet were nailed to the floor, you know, just having money, getting paid and being absolutely starving. There's a, you know, there's a Greg's across the road. I can't even make the journey across the road for a sausage roll because I spent all my money. Um, so that kind of worry. And, you know, my mother knew about that. You know, when I lived alone, she would, I'd go down, she'd have a, a bag of, of, of groceries she'd been to Asda and say here take that take that up the road with you take that because she'd she cared about me and there was bread there was milk in it and stuff like that and I was really thankful for it um but the worry you know I've got kids now and they, they know about my journey and it's you know the biggest thing you can be for your kids is there just be there for them that's it don't try to fix it just be there and be somebody that they can talk to on the level and that's what I try and do today it's quite interesting, Steve, like that Alan said that. So my mum says to me all the time now, she was like, Scott, you were ill. And I don't accept it because I said to my mum, I said, I don't see it as an illness. I said, because a lot of, I think every single person that I've ever come across in recovery calls it an illness. And I'm probably the one that has an opinion on it is that by the choices that you make, you're no longer ill. I don't deem myself to be ill anymore. And I'm sure Alan is an eye, but people do have illnesses that they can't shake off and can't get rid of. And I think with gambling, when my mum says to me, you're ill, I'm like, mum, I wasn't ill. I said, because I've got a choice and I can get out the other side of this. Some people don't have that choice. Um, so when she's trying to take the pressure off me for the things that I did, um, I put it straight back on her. And I'm like, no, 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 I made those choices. So it's an interesting topic, an interesting conversation. I've had it with a lot of people in recovery when I went to Gamblers Anonymous. And they're like, no, it is an illness, no, it is. And I'm like, no, it's not. And I'm probably the only person I've ever met in recovery that says that. But I don't know your thoughts on that, Alan. Yeah, I, I see it as a, a as a mental illness because I can tell you how how mental it it, it made me. Of course, um, yeah. And you know, I remember my partner. You know, she used to she used to work somewhere as a contact centre. And she used to have to take a pound every day to to for a locker. And I remember um, I was dipping her purse and taking the money out day after day after day. And she would say to me, "Have you been in my purse? 
Alan, I was like, no. And it was four or five days of this. Um, and I turned around. This is how sick I was at the time. I turned around and I said to her, there's something wrong with you. You need to go and see a doctor. You're saying that there's been money in your person that's went missing. The, the level of, I mean, that is just, that is just being mentally sick. I'm not mentally sick now. I, I'm recovered. You know, I'm in recovery every day. I don't think I'm mentally ill. I don't think I've got um, an out-and-out illness today. Um, I tend to look on the sort of, I'm a glass half full type of guy. I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist. Um, so I totally get what Scotty's saying. Uh, and yeah, he's probably in the minority in that. There are people, and, and there are some people in Gamblers and that don't think so, and I always as well, believe it or not. But um, yeah, I don't I don't think too much about it these days, to be honest. Um, I just I just got on with my life. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, it's an interesting topic. And not not only that, just another one. But I don't see myself as a recovering gambler anymore. I just see myself as someone that did gamble. Like I don't feel like I'm in recovery every day. Um, I I don't want to be labelled that tag. Like that's one thing that I think. Remember when I spoke to my mum and dad? That's what my dad broke down about when I said that people know me as Scott, the gambling addict, the one that had a problem with gambling. And after I said to him, I said, like, what made you break down? And he said, that was the point. He said, when you said all the things you've done in football being completely forgotten of, people know you as gambler. And I said, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to meet people in my life and go, I'm Scott, the recovering gambling addict. Like, because it's something I did nearly eight years ago now. So are my mates that part per five or bet on a week more of a problem gambler than me? At the moment, they are. So I don't want to carry that tag around with me. I leave that in the past, completely in the past. I don't do the gamblers on the stuff now where people say oh that's a dangerous place to be I still watch horse racing most days I still watch football every single day and I used to bet on every football match that I used to watch so I'm not in a da more dangerous situation because I'm still doing things that I used to do but I'm now doing it without betting um, and I know that will be very sort of controversial with a lot of people but I suppose everyone's different so on the face of it that sounds a little bit like walking a tightrope but it takes me back to something your dad said or, or you said about your dad and this is the next point I was going to get onto, which is almost the legacy of your addiction and how and how the people who you affected. And we touched upon this earlier on, Alan, but, you know, you obviously you hurt a lot of people and they were worried about you. Your dad, you said quite often your dad might be watching the horse racing and he scrambles for the remote control because he almost thinks he has <laughs> to turn it off in your presence. And is there a legacy? I'll, I'll come to you, Scott, first. But is there a legacy of that? You know, with both of you almost how people still Laps back into thinking that the old you might pop up at some point. Yeah, like being in a football changing room, you can imagine what it's like. So it's absolute carnage where people on a Saturday um, have got their horse racing bets. We're on the um, the coach the other day and they're saying, are we getting a sweepstake for the Grand National? And they're like, oh, sorry, Scotty. I'm like, what are you apologising for? What are you apologising for? Because you cannot protect me in everything that I do. I protect myself in what I do and that's the only thing that matters. Like I'm the only person that's going to walk myself into a bookmaker's or walk into a casino, download a betting app on my phone. I'm nowhere near doing that. So I said, listen, lads, you don't need to worry about it. Um, just speak about it normally because I'm further away from having a bet than some of you guys. And that's proved true because they have a bet within the next 30 seconds when they got their phone out. So I honestly believe, and maybe it's a place of... People say it's maybe a bit of complacency, saying, oh, it's not a good way to see it or view things. But um, I'm further away from having a bet than than all my mates or becoming a problem gambler again before my mates are. Um, and I genuinely believe, believe that because I loved how it made me feel at the time when I did it. Um, but I've got too much to lose now. I don't want to lose my parents. I wouldn't want to lose my family. I wouldn't want to lose my wife. Um, 
so yeah, there's just too much to lose now. Whereas back then I was a young boy that had money and I didn't have anything to lose in my mind because I had the world at my feet, in my head. Um, my parents were never ever gonna leave me or um, yeah, disown me, for example. Um, until the day that they said they would, which they threatened me with. And that really woke me up and I thought, right, I can't do this anymore. And yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and Jason, I'm just having a chuckle there. Um, it's Scotty. Um, you know, I respect everything he says, but, you know, I watch football these days, but for the life of me, and I respect uh, the physical condition jockeys get themselves into and stuff. Unless I was betting on it, there's no way I'd watch that sport. It's just boring to me you now. I watch it and it's like, these little men on these hot, I just, I don't get it. I just like, <laughs> it's just not a sport. I'd rather watch fencing before I watch I watch horse racing. Um, but He's right in what he says, and everybody's recovery journey is different, and I respect everybody's journey. Um, and Scott's right in what he says, but the the legacy I think about, you know, I, I've got to watch myself at times. I don't, uh, I don't go into like pub quizzes, nothing like that. I don't do fantasy football league in like that. I don't toss a coin. I don't. I, I remember going to the, but you've got to watch that because you can take it to extremes. I remember going to a school fight with my daughter once. And um, she's like, Dad, can you do this for me? I can't do it. And it was hook a duck for a prize. And I'm like, oh, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm standing, I'm concerned. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You plank. Just hook the flipping duck. Do you know what I mean? But it's like you get so far down this road of recovery and I'm into the, you know, the whole 12 steps and all that type of thing. But you can take it to extremes. And that example is an extreme where you just think, well, wait a minute, hang on, you can hook a duck. <laughs> you're not going to go and run to a bookmaker's and, and you know, do your brains in because of that. Uh, but I do, you know, legacy now, um, it's important to me. My, my whole family knows what gambling did to me and through, and my friends, and through the power of example and how I, you know, I don't tell people what to do. I don't say, oh, gambling's, if they want to gamble when they're older, that's up to them. My missy still does a lottery. Um, doesn't tell me if she wins. I don't, I don't know, maybe some black bags at the door one day and I'll know that, that she's won. I don't know, but um, yeah, I don't tell people what to do. I don't pontificate. Um, I'm just me and, you know, hopefully by the power of example, somebody can say, well, I, I wouldn't mind a, a bit of that or a piece of that, but I don't want to go down the road that, that Alan went down. So, um, you know, I might, I might quit when I'm up or whatever. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So look, we're coming to the end, guys. Obviously, thank thanks so much for your time. I mean, I think this is really this is really enlightening. This is the sort of you know the, the conversations that I'm glad we're able to have. But also from what you said earlier, I wish we weren't having. It's such a hypothetical situation, isn't it? Really, but you know, you both seem now in it, you know, in a much happier place. And in terms of the people who you hurt and the people you affected, those relationships on you know, by and large seem to have been repaired. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. As I say, I've got a life beyond my wildest dreams these days. You know, I got up every day, I pinch myself and I think, how, how am I not doing something that I did for 21 years every single day? Uh, and I'm I'm really lucky. Um, I'm a one day at a time guy. Uh, I can deal with the next 12 hours in front of me and, and that's how I live my life. I'll wake up tomorrow uh, and I'll deal with that 12 hours as well. And that's just, you know, I can live it in those sort of bite-sized chunks instead of thinking like... You know, probably different for Scotty. If you were to ask me, are you going to gamble in a year's time, Alan? I don't know. I cannot tell you that I won't. And, you know, if I, if I was to tell my dad that, or my sister, they'd probably be like, oh, that might shake them and stuff like what Scotty was saying. But um, I don't look that far ahead. I just deal with what's immediately in front of me. And I'm really, really happy. You know, you say life beyond wildest dreams. If you move to England. <laughs> That's another podcast, Scotty. Um... <laughs> Yeah, for me, I, I'm so content. Um, I love my football more than I've ever loved it. 
um, now managing as well, it's become quite compulsive, I'll be honest with you, but it's a good compulsion. Um, it earns me a wage. It keeps me mentally mentally sane, I guess I want to say. But um, yeah, the rush, the buzz that I miss from gambling, I get it in, in other areas now and football is certainly one of them. Uh, winning and losing, it's like a drug. Um, gambling is like a drug. Um, but more importantly than that, I think I've got my parents back on side. We're in a really good place. Obviously got married a couple of years ago now. Met my wife when I came out of rehab. She doesn't know about any of my past, which is really weird. Um, I say doesn't know. She knows about it, but she's never seen me gamble. So that's what I mean by that. And yeah, I live a, a new life now. I want to leave the past in the past. Um, don't want to... Sounds weird yet again because we talk about it every day at work, but don't want to keep bringing up the past. I don't want to talk about it to my close friends and family. Um, telling my story in front of my parents a few months ago at Wembley was one of the hardest things because there was truths that came out that day that they'd never heard of, um, never heard about and never heard about. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's every now and again, it's good to dip in and realize where you were and where you've now got to. Um, and it's always important to obviously always put important to respect where you were at. Um, and I'd certainly do that, but yeah, for me, it's it's like you say, telling telling my story is what motivates me every single day uh, to be the best version of me and to keep me on the straight and narrow and on the safe path. Brilliant. Well, Scott, Alan, thanks so much for, for joining us. That's all from this episode of the Gambling Harm Podcast. We'll be back with a new episode soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>